So our Bible reading is Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25, which can be found on page 965 of the Red Church Bibles. So Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Thanks, Mike, for reading that. Um, Let me pray for us as we come to look at these words together. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this time of year. Thank you for all the blessings it brings. Um, when family can get together, uh, when we can have holidays. Uh, And thank you for the message of Christmas. And as we consider it again this morning, please would you speak to us and help us to hear uh, what you're saying. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Details matter at Christmas, don't they? So uh, one of my friends told me about her dad sat up in bed Christmas Eve, uh, late on, just as they were about to go to sleep, and said to his wife, your ears are pierced, aren't they? To which she replied, we've been married for 25 years. You know they're not pierced. They've never been pierced. Uh, Suddenly, the pearl earrings he'd got as the last-minute present for her didn't seem to be that good a buy. Details, details like that matter, don't they? Our family traditions, maybe there's details that you repeat Every, every year, when do you open presents? What time of the day? Do you still get a stocking? Uh, or is it a pillowcase? Or somebody in my house has said, a duvet cover. Shall we go for a duvet cover? <laughs> I had to say to Julia, steady on there. That's getting a bit much. Our details are important uh, when you come to nativity plays, aren't they, at school? Were you ever in one? Uh, can you remember... Can you remember being in a nativity play? Uh, one of my boys attained the dizzying acting heights of Child 2 uh, in the nativity play this year. Child 2. No name attached, just Child 2. I'm already imagining uh, the red carpets in, in his future. But even members uh, of the supporting cast um, can be significant. And we're here in Matthew chapter 1, if you've got it open in front of you, Still, we're going to look at one of them this morning. We're going to consider one of them and some of his details. We're going to look at Joseph. And think about this man, kind of a a reluctant father. 
And we're not told his age, but he's an eligible man. He's pledged to be married. It's a local girl, Mary. Uh, being pledged, you'll know if you know any of this and have read it before, being pledged was a major commitment. It was only really broken by divorce. And doing something like that was serious. And the situation gets serious, doesn't it, as you read this, because Mary's pregnant. Joseph's not the father. Details like that, they matter, don't they? A reluctant father. You can imagine as we, as we land in this story, uh, you're thinking, well, he's not the father. Now, how would you feel as you read this story? You imagine the emotions of it. Betrayed, angry, heartbroken. But as now as you read it, the details begin to get interesting again because Matthew doesn't tell us how Joseph felt, not really a mention of it. Instead, we're told something else. We're, we're told in verse 19 that, that Joseph was someone who was faithful to the law. The, the, word that's, the kind of word that's translated that way sometimes is righteous. Joseph was a righteous man, faithful to God's law. Well, you might think he's every right to take the moral high ground if Mary's been sleeping around. But that's not really just what Matthew wants us to see. You notice the angel's words there, just a bit further down, verse 20. The angel says something like this to Joseph. Look, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. That's a strange thing to say, isn't it? Don't be afraid. Uh, not don't be angry. Not don't be upset. No, don't be afraid. Why say something like that? Well, I wonder if it's something like this. Joseph, it seems, would, would know God's law. Adultery was forbidden. Being righteous, being someone who was faithful to the law, he was concerned, what would God think? But his behavior, the more you read this story, this little story, his behavior gets even more baffling. Because if he knew God's law and adultery was wrong, he was in the right. But, but verse 19, because Joseph was faithful to the law. Because Joseph was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public, public disgrace, and he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're not a Christian. When you, when you hear words like that, righteous, or someone who's good at keeping the law uh, in a kind of religious setting, maybe it makes you think of Christian do-gooders, uh, looking down on others. But you read about Joseph, and he kind of blows those, he blows those ideas away. Here's a truly righteous man, if you like. And here's what you see in him. Even when his heart's going through the ringer, well, he's concerned for the one who seems to have hurt him. Doesn't want public disgrace. Won't ease his own hurt at the expense of others. Don't know what this year's been like for you. Maybe... Maybe you're someone who's had tough family situations and you read this story and you think, actually, having a righteous man like this, having a man like Joseph around, that would have been a good thing. This idea of righteous, it kind of means acceptable. And in this sort of context, it's acceptable to God. So if Joseph was someone who was faithful to the law, if he was someone who was righteous, acceptable to God, why does he go out of his way? Why does he go out of his way to care for someone who seems to be in the wrong? Well, because the more you stop and think about it, it's, it's the story of the whole Bible. 
Have you got this yet? Maybe you've been coming along finding out about Christian things. Uh, have you got this idea? One of, one of the ministry trainees who works with us had a conversation with someone about this just in the past week, and they, they hadn't quite, quite got it clear yet. But the people the Bible says are right with God, are acceptable to him. It's not so much people have been good enough, because none of us have been. Now, what makes someone acceptable to God is that they've been forgiven and made right with God. And reading this story, I suspect that Joseph knew if he knew adultery would have serious consequences. And he couldn't act as if God wouldn't care, but, but neither could he take the moral high ground. He knows that we all need forgiveness, so he deals gently with Mary in this situation. It's the mark of a forgiven person, isn't it? How well they react when they're hurt by someone else. It's one of the marks of someone who knows they've been forgiven as well. How they they deal with someone else who probably needs forgiveness. But it's more than that. You see something else about uh, this man, Joseph. It's, It's that he does what God says to him. An angel of the Lord arrives. There's no kind of rebuke. There's only reassurance and instruction. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary into your home. God's at work here. It's the Holy Spirit who's responsible. Mary will have a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. That's the instruction. And you can imagine the gossips, can't you? People are very good at working out the maths and all those kind of things. You can imagine the suspicions about Mary's pregnancy. The comments about Joseph, what a fool. Doesn't he know what's happened? And Joseph would have faced that kind of stuff. But he obeys God, he does what he says. So here's the question. What's your righteousness like? What is it that you think makes you good enough? Is it the kind of moral high ground variety that you... You keep standards better than other people. You'll spot that kind of thing. Uh, you'll spot that kind of thinking in the way you treat others who let you down or upset you. If, you. if you kind of think, well, I can write them off. I don't need to bother about them anymore. I can just dispatch them in some way. That'll be because you think you, you can treat them in a way different to you. They don't need to be treated the way you're treated because you're a bit better than them. Or have you ever encountered the true righteousness of the forgiven person? A person who knows they're, they're only ever acceptable to God because God's forgiven them. Or how do you live your life? Is the way you live, is it shaped by the opinions of others? Do you buckle as soon as the gossips think you're foolish? Or have you found something a bit more solid like Joseph that enables you to live confidently even when situations are heartbreaking. Have you found that? I read this this little story about one of the members of the supporting cast and I think I've got lots to learn from this reluctant father. Now the trouble with details whenever you're looking at them is you can often miss the big picture. One of my nephews when he was younger went to see his older brother in his nativity play and on the car on the way home And they said, what bit did you like the best? And he chirped up, I like the bit about the whale the best. Everyone in the car kind of looked at him. There wasn't wasn't a whale in the nativity. 
highlight the bit about the whale with a kind of furious indignation that only a four-year-old can muster. And eventually, to clear matters up, he sang for them, a whale in a manger. (laughs) I don't really know what he imagined was going on in the Christmas story, but um, but maybe you've not made kind of whale-sized mistakes about Christmas, but it's important, isn't it? As As you look at the details, you don't miss the big picture, because while this story in many ways is about a reluctant father, it, in other ways, it's actually about the opposite. It's about an unreluctant father. It's about God. Matthew says these, data, these details were part of something much bigger. The virgin birth, that's what it was. It was a fulfillment of what God said through the prophet. In verse 23 in the reading we had, that the virgin will be with child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. If we were watching a film, it would be one of those moments where there's a kind of flashback to something that's happened in the past and you go and watch that and it helps explain something that's happening. Now, that, uh, that's kind of what's going on here. Uh, the promise of the virgin birth came in an incident all about a faithless king and a faithful God. It's back in Isaiah chapter 7 in the Old Testament. You can read it later if you want. The faithless king was a man called Ahaz, and funnily enough, he was one of the ancestors of Joseph. And he was king at a troubled time for God's people. The, the kingdom of Israel had split into two, and the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom had completely abandoned God. The southern kingdom, where Ahaz was king, was, was mixed at best. The northern kingdom had an army, and they were threatening to invade the south. You can imagine the, the feelings of threat and danger that was going on there. Ahaz was concerned, but God sent the prophet Isaiah to him and said, don't worry about them. I'll deal with them. The big issue, Ahaz, is will you trust me? Will you trust me to be the one who will rescue my people? What kind of king will you be? And God said to Ahaz, look, you can ask for a sign. It says he'll move heaven and earth to reassure him. He'll do anything in order to make Ahaz confident. But Ahaz refuses. He, he won't trust God. And from that point on, The southern kingdom is heading towards collapse. The king was a failure. He was faithless. He wouldn't trust God. The story doesn't end there. You can go back and read it because even though Ahaz was faithless, God was faithful. Ahaz refused to ask for a sign, but but God said he would give a sign anyway, a sign that he was going to rescue his people, a sign that a true king had come, one who would be faithful to God. You think about it for a moment. If, if God offered you a chance like that, God offered you a sign, something to reassure you, something uh, to give you some confidence, what kind of sign would you ask for? Uh, you'd want something, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd want something no one else could fake. You'd want something only God could manufacture so you could have some kind of confidence in it, something impossible for people to do, like, well, here's something a young woman who's never had sex becoming pregnant. And it's that sign that Matthew quotes. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 
a baby born in a manger. In Isaiah's book, you, you learn some more details about this son. We, we hear it in carol services all, all the time. We, we sing it in songs. In Isaiah 9, he's called this. He will be called Mighty God. Not just sent from God, but God himself. Isaiah tells us he will, he will reign on David's throne, a king descended from David. It's an incredible plan. God promising to come himself as a rescuing king. And one of the signs that it's happening, well, a virgin will have a baby. Christmas is a wonderful time, isn't it? I love it. So many traditions. So many details. The tree going up. The films you watch, the nativity plays, kisses stolen under the mistletoe, all the things that we celebrate, and they're all there for you. And you don't want to miss any of them. As long as you remember the details of Christmas, they're always meant to point you to the big picture. The ways we celebrate are meant to point to the reason that we celebrate. This wonderful time, it's all about rescue. And that's the final part of the big picture. The name Joseph gives the child, Jesus, it kind of means God saves or God to the rescue, if you like. It's all about a rescue. It's what God promised back in Isaiah, but it's, it's not now from just an invading army. It's from a far greater problem. The angel says, call him Jesus, because he will save, he will rescue his people from their sin. Since that Bible word, in our our culture, it often gets confused, doesn't it? It's kind of missing the mark, but I guess at its heart, it's this idea of, of living life, rebelling against God, ignoring him. We ignore the one who gives his life. We mistreat the creator in the world that he's made. It's a shocking thing to do, and we've all done it. And the effect, well, we see it all around as we think we can live with no reference to the God who made us. We don't even keep our own standards. And God won't ignore it. He will eventually come. He's promised. He will eventually come and wipe every trace of sin away from his creation and sinful people along with it. Lost from God forever. It's funny, isn't it, how how the big picture has a way of working its way back down into the details again. This big picture, God's incredible plan that spans the centuries, that's remembered at Christmas, and yet finds itself back down in the details of people like you and me. The details of people like you and me who need to have their sin forgiven as well. That's where the big picture, if you like, it becomes an important detail for us too. At Christmas, are you keeping a clear view of the God of Christmas? Uh, Some think of him, don't they, as an irrelevance or a, a distant tyrant, but Christmas says, no. No, he's your rescuing king. You remember that as you celebrate at Christmas. This one that we encounter at Christmas, he's He's your rescuing king. The baby born at Christmas, Jesus came to give his life on a cross so that he could give you real life again. At Christmas, God in Jesus, the one, the one who is big picture, 
showed up in the details of life. And he took center stage, child one, if you like, of the original nativity. Yet nobody really gives him a red carpet. And even with that, even with faithless people, he, he continues to be faithful. He's not reluctant to save. On Sunday mornings if, and evenings, if you've been coming along to Christchurch this past term, we've been, we've been going through John's account of the story of Jesus. And right at the beginning, we, we came across these words. It said this, Yet to those who received him, that's Jesus, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave, we gave the right to become children of God. It's quite a thought, isn't it? Because at Christmas, we, we remember the details of God making himself a child becoming part of one little family, those details. But the big picture behind the details was so that he could forgive you in order to make you a child who could become part of his family. So Christmas really is about an unreluctant father. And that's what we are here at Christchurch, isn't it? People trusting the Jesus of Christmas, we're, we're God's family. This isn't just a place you come along to, to hear some talks from the front or sing some songs. No, no Christ church, we're a church family because we have the same Father, an unreluctant Father, who loves us, loves us in an unreluctant way. That's what Christmas tells us. What difference does it make? Well, lots of difference. Here, here's, here's three I was thinking about this past week. Here's three differences, and you can think about these. It, here's the first one. It, it helps us celebrate. Uh, for some people, Christmas is, is nothing more than a distraction, is it? It's a, it's a distraction from some of the difficulties of life. A few days to forget what you're going to go back to in January. But our celebrations of Christmas are filled with confident hope of a better world to come because we have a Father who keeps His promises in Jesus. I don't know what 2018 has been like for all of you. Some of you I do know, but whether it's been filled with good times or actually 2018 has been filled with some really sad times and hard times, we can still celebrate in the details because in the big picture, we are loved by an unreluctant Father. So remember, we can celebrate. I think it challenges us to grow as well. Someone was asking me earlier in the week if I make New Year's resolutions. I don't know if you, you do that kind of thing. And I said, no, I don't. I like to think that's because I'm sort of virtuous and I'm always thinking about how I'm growing throughout the year. I think in reality is I'm a bit lazy and I just don't think about it at all. But looking at the details of Joseph, I, I think I wonder if I should. Because I look at Joseph in this story, and I think if knowing God makes you treat others and trust God that way, then I think I want to know God a little bit more like you know him, Joseph. Have you grown this year? As you look back over the year, have you, have you grown as a Christian, do you think? Do you want to in the year ahead? How has your temper been this year? Has your greed been changing? 
Are you seeing change in that self-pity that you struggle with? How are those grudges that you feel? Are you quicker with forgiveness as you come to the end of the year than you were at the start of the year? Are you wanting to obey God more? And as you think about those things, what do you think an unreluctant father would say to his children if they ask him for his help in that? And here's the last thing. It opens our doors. It makes us think, who else can we welcome? There, there are some families, I think back uh, across the, the years of being a Christian, uh, there's some families that have loved me. And they've opened their homes to me. And it's been one of the great joys in life to be welcomed into other people's homes and other people's families, to be welcomed, to be sat around a table with them and included. And I read this and I think that's how God thinks too. He's an unreluctant father wanting to welcome people in. And it makes me think is, as a church, we should be like that too. And so she said, as asking the question, are we still too reluctant to pray and to work in sharing the gospel? I was reminded of uh, some friends this past week, some, some people I, I knew who had been working out in Central Asia. Uh, back home in the UK, uh, they'd been doing kind of undercover mission stuff. They were medical missionaries, if you like. They'd been back home for a break, and as a family, when they traveled back to the country they were working in, going through the customs there, uh, wife and son were allowed through, but father was turned back at the door, told his visa was revoked. He wasn't going to be allowed in the country anymore. He was sent back into the plane, family on the other side of it, and told me walking back to the plane, uh, being escorted by the military guard, his thought was, this may be the last chance I have to tell somebody from this country the message about Jesus. I was really moved by that. That kind of attitude of wanting someone else to be welcomed in. I think it comes from a God who is like that, unreluctant, unreluctant, and wanting to welcome people in. There's lots of details in this story that come from the big picture. There's lots to learn from Joseph, uh, one of the members of the supporting cast, and many things for us to ponder and to thank God for. Why don't we have a moment just to pray ourselves, and then Rachel is going to come back up and lead us. going to have a chance to respond now to what we just heard with the words of our next song we're going to sing um, from the squalor of a borrowed stable. We've heard about a welcoming God and God to come be with us. A chance now to think through what that means to us, how that challenges us at Christmas time.
Please would you stand? of the events of Jesus' life. And we're going to st- st- remain standing now and affirm our faith in who Jesus is, what he came to do. Uh, and the words of this creed will appear on, on your screens. These are words taken from um, a passage in the Bible in uh, 
Paul's letters to the Philippians, which we looked at last week, so if you were here, you might recognise some of these words. Say them together. Though he was divine, he did not cling to equality with God, but made himself nothing, taking the form of 